Welcome to the Fin Nation podcast, where we wholeheartedly believe women entrepreneurs are leaders that rise together. Success does not have a definition. There are no secret strategies. Women entrepreneurs are rewriting history by defining success on their own terms. Hi, I'm your host, White Gannon, the down-to-earth chick with a different name. Each week, join me for inspiring stories and powerful interviews of women entrepreneurs sharing their lessons to success to help you take your business to the next level. Now, let's go for it. Welcome back to Fem Nation. Thank you guys for jumping on to another episode today. I'm excited to bring to you Dr. Brooke Smith, who just happens to be an amazing intuitive productivity and mindfulness expert. I love diving into those topics, as you all know, and I'm excited to be able to hear how she got to where she is today and what she does to serve people. But most importantly, I want to thank Dr. Brooke for coming on today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Let's just go ahead and get down to the question of the hour. Where did your entrepreneurial journey begin? My entrepreneurial journey actually started with an art business. I loved making hand-painted yarn and artisan knitwear out of hand-painted yarn. I did a lot of really innovative design work in that. But once I got into it and I started going to shows and selling stuff, I realized I hated having an inventory. I hated like all of the stuff that I had to own in order to continue to produce stuff. And I found that over time, I was spending less time on the design work that I loved and more time doing fabrication and production. Around the same time, my previous employer paid for me to get an MBA. And the experience of getting an MBA just blew my mind wide open in terms of the limitations of my art business and all of these other ways that I could monetize my skills to make Mm -hmm. money. So my coaching business is actually one of only three businesses that my husband and I have. The coaching business is mine. It's my Mm. passion project. Um, But we also own rental properties. And my husband is a leaded glass artist. And he's a brilliant artist. And I run a lot of the back end of his business. That's fascinating because it seems to be a common question right now as to how to monetize your expertise or you know, really drill down on how to make a living serving the world, creating an impact and feeling purposeful, right? I mean, that that's really seems to be what it is. And there's so many opportunities out there of ways to do it, but I think a lot of them are loud and obnoxious and, you know, cookie cutter or just do this. And it'll, you know, I mean, we could talk about that, that whole industry in and of its own right, but not necessary for today. That's a whole episode. (laughs) Truthfully is a whole episode, boy. But that being said, that is such a common question. And for artists specifically, creatives, I'll say creatives specifically, there's so many things that we creatively express ourselves with and are passionate about that we're just not sure where to connect the dots of what, how to move that forward while we still get to stay in the space of loving what we create or the, the place of creating it. So how do you help people with that? What did you find was kind of the, kind of the bridge? So for me, the bridge was Realizing that the online space was this way for me to continue teaching yoga, which was the the thing that I loved doing on the side when I had a corporate job, but I knew it would never pay the bills. Right. Um, But do that in a way that was scalable and could reach so many more people. Mm -hmm. 
And in terms of the advice that I give to clients, it's always to take action, to check in with yourself, even if it's just what's my next best step or what's the thing that's Mm going to push me just a little bit towards the edges of discomfort. Because the only way we get clarity on what we actually want to be doing is by trying things and taking action. We, we don't learn through thought experiments. <laughs> as much as we'd like to, <laughs> right? It'd be like, yes, that sounds amazing. But if there's no action behind it, then we're not, we can't qualify that thought, you know? So, but, so tell me, who are your favorite clients? Who are the ones that you enjoy working with and why is that the case? Yeah. So I love working with smart cerebral women who are experts in something. They usually already have deep expertise in a field, whether it's design or writing or running ads, data, they're already experts. Mm-hmm. What they know is, is not working is they know there's not enough time. But when we peel it back, it's always, always that there's not enough time because they're overthinking, they're getting stuck in indecision, they're getting stuck in overwhelm. And this is where mindfulness comes in by working through a lot of this inner stuff, helping them build the confidence to make decisions and take action and then evaluate the results. They're able to get things done so much faster and with less effort they're really able to shine and share their expertise and still have time to do whatever they want. And does that fall in line with the productivity piece? Does the productivity piece come in into fruition because of the mindfulness or does the mindfulness come from being productive or does it vary? Mindfulness is one of the tools that we use to enhance productivity in a kind, mm. gentle, not bro marketing way. Yeah. <laughs> there <laughs> that's a whole episode. <laughs> Just going <laughs> to call it bro marketing. <laughs> you get it. You get it. And so I know the listeners do too because the world is full of of those kinds of examples. Give us a, an example of a mindful way to connect with uh, that they can connect to their either their expertise or their audience. Yeah. How do so- they share that? One of the the things that I always look at in terms of connecting with your expertise is what is the thing that you love to do and that you're so good at that you're actually genuinely surprised when other people aren't. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that we, especially as women, slip up on so much because the things that we're really good at, we assume everyone must be just as good at. And it's often not until we try to show someone or teach someone that we realize we actually have an innate skill for it. And then then honing that down into a transferable opportunity for other people to bridge their own gap between what they perceived was just a common skill or a common expertise, how do they translate that to their world, their audience, their people? In terms of monetizing our gifts, I'm a huge advocate of not necessarily teaching your zone of genius. So when we're Mm. doing services, we 100% want to be in our zone of genius because that's where we can provide a ton of value as service providers. But when we're teaching, sometimes it's actually really hard to teach in your zone of genius. It's if you've ever had a math teacher that was really good at math. And sometimes they end up being the worst teachers because they get it intuitively. And the students who don't get it intuitively 
are never able to wrap their heads around it. Whereas math teachers who struggled with math as students are exceptionally good at teaching it because they had to put in the work to learn it the first time. Mm -hmm. And the same is true of our zone of genius. So if we want to do something, if we want to monetize by doing, then 100% in the zone of genius. But if we want to monetize by teaching something, a lot of times it's best to focus on the skills that we're passionate about, but had to put in some work to get good at, because Mm. that's where we've actually had to look at it from all angles and go deep enough to be able to explain it and articulate it to different people who it also didn't come naturally to. So it's almost like the parallel world, the shadow world, where it's not the one that we just naturally were gifted with, but the one that we worked on and then you and then bring that one into focus as because we understand all the elements that it takes to get to that point because we struggled and I use struggle not necessarily struggle as in difficulty, but we worked towards figuring that out, figuring out that particular skill set. That's a fascinating way to approach that. And frankly, one I've not heard. So that's, it's very, it's very neat to hear it that way, because that would make a sense as to why so many out there in the bro marketing world claim, claim that if you just, if you just monetize your expertise, it's so difficult for them to do, it's so difficult for people to do that, because then they're trying it's frustration metric because they're not able to understand why people are understanding, but they're not articulating it properly. Like, like the example of the math teacher, I am just literally flabbergasted about that at the moment, because I was like that, that was, that's such a connection spot there that I think so many people will resonate with just for the sheer fact that we have a missing piece on the zone of genius, but yet we know the learning curve for the one that's next to it. Yes. And it's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about mindfulness. So I am not a naturally mindful person. I am, you know, as high, strong and anxious and raised on eighties romantic comedies where it's cool to be kind of neurotic. (laughs) You know, I am a card carrying Enneagram five. I mean, I was a yoga teacher who hated meditating. I would sneak out of yoga classes when it was time for Shavasana. Uh (laughs) I I was super resistant. And when I finally cracked the code, it was life-changing. And because I had to put in so much work over such a long period of time, and I know there are a lot of other smart, sassy women who have the same struggle, I want to shortcut it for them so that they can skip my 10-year struggle Mm -hmm. and go right to, okay, let's start with just two minutes. Mm-hmm. And here are some specific cues we'll we'll go through in the body so that your brain has something to focus on. Mm-hmm. When you teach your clients or you take your clients through the process, what becomes a benchmark for their success? How do they realize or feel that they've achieved some form of success, whatever that looks like for them? Yeah, it's very subjective, um, mm-hmm. but it's usually letting go of this feeling of obligation and feeling like they're working from inspiration. Um, They feel connected to their work and they also appreciate that it's all optional. So they no longer feel like their business owns them. Mm -hmm. It's more of that freedom aspect. The life that that's where the lifestyle comes from the enjoying what you do. If you, you know, 
do what you love. You never work a day in your life. It's cliche. Yes. But there is something to that. You know, there is, there is, but it, that's, that's the, you know, the million dollar question, right? What is that? What, what did they find? And so the mindfulness piece of being able to have someone such as yourself help them determine what that is, find what that is. So then they can shortcut the time it took to figure out what it looked like or how to do that with, you know, having the assistance of someone like you to do that with them. When, when they grow their business, when, when they find that area to live in that find that peace, uh, that peaceful place that they just love to be there, then who do they become? What's the transformation piece of that? They become free. They become fulfilled. Mm-hmm. It's this intersection of taking pleasure in the work itself. And at the same time, the work is no longer all encompassing. So they have time to pursue the other things that are also fulfilling mm-hmm. health, family. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you? I know you said 10 years, but I'm just curious. How many cycles of getting so close to it, but not quite there or moments or evolutions of it, of getting just to the point of that until you realized kind of the catalyst for that, that freedom of existence? More than I can count. I'm going to say it's more than 10 and less than a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I know my first hint at it, like my very first hint before I was even really seriously pursuing mindfulness. So I was just kind of scratching the surface of it and running away was uh, I used to work for the federal government. And I remember having a coworker who seemed to do nothing. He seemed to just sit in the corner and watch YouTube videos on his iPad all day. And I remember thinking, how does this dude still have a job? And this was more than a decade ago. I was still very much in this cycle of procrastination that I had picked up in school and hadn't let go of where I would you know, avoid my work until the very last minute, but I wouldn't enjoy anything because the whole time I was avoiding my work, I was stressed about the work that I should be doing. And I ended up working on a project with this guy. I had prepared a bunch of stuff. I sent it to him for review and he sent it back to me with comments, really good, valuable comments within 45 minutes. And I realized the reason he gets away with sitting in the corner watching YouTube videos all day is because he's really responsive. He doesn't let stuff sit in his inbox and get cold. And that was like a switch flipping for me where I realized that the work didn't have to take any longer if I started it sooner. I could actually just get it done faster and enjoy everything else. That's There's value in that. So I think I... For the whole time I was in school, I had this mindset of work expands to fill the time allotted. So if I start writing this term paper before it's due, it's going to take two months. Whereas if I wait until the last minute, it'll only take 24 hours. I mean, never mind that that's 24 miserable hours. For sure. Living on like Cheetos and canned frosting. (laughs) And I carried that into a huge part of my life. And when I realized that I didn't actually have to let the work expand to fill the time allotted, I could just do it and get it, get it out of my queue. That was life-changing because, you know, directly I was suddenly able to get things done quickly and then have so much more free time. But on top of that, I realized that avoidance is this like sneaky thing. 
that costs us so much joy and fulfillment because all the time that we spend avoiding stuff, whether it's work or uncomfortable conversations or scary actions that we know we need to make or decisions that we don't want to deal with, all the time that we spend avoiding those things is time that we're not really present with what we're actually doing. Mm -hmm. And it's true because even if you procrastinate till the last 24 hours to write that term paper, it's sitting here in your mind rolling over that you've got a box to check still Mm -hmm. because you're eventually going to have to get that done. And so that holds up bandwidth too. And correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just, this is just, you know, what's coming to mind, but it holds up bandwidth for those two months prior to that 24 days because it sits there and says, you're going to still have to get this done. And so it can add to, uh, it can add extra layers, I should say, of things to keep track of, which means that's less that you're focusing on the present, that you're not in the, in the moment with your people or, you know, your life or your world. So that's where it can still hold you back, even though your time is not being directly directed to it, it's still holding you kind of captive. That's exactly the case. And if you multiply that, because if we have this habit of avoiding things, we're not just avoiding one term paper, we're avoiding like a term paper and an uncomfortable conversation and a decision that we have to make for next year. And we're carrying all of those things around. So it's like we're carrying around this enormous backpack full of rocks of the stuff we haven't dealt with. And everything that we avoid, we're just putting more stuff in the backpack. And we're still going to have to mindfully, mentally, you know, filter through what are the next things. So we have this literally tabs open in yes. our, on our brain and then we're just holding them open. Cause I'll come back to that later. Cause you have to come back to it later. Uh, that makes me, uh, or creates a thought for me that they say that minimalists, people that have minimal possessions are actually some of the most free people in the world, not because they're straddled by debt or lack of, you know, not, you not having the debt, but because that even when we have material possessions, everything subconsciously is still being categorized somehow in our mind. And I'll take my husband, for instance, he always has a million projects. He's, he's kind of a tinker, builds things, does things in his off time when he's not working. And he always has something that still needs to be done on them. All of those things weigh him down. And I see this from an external plus, you know, I love him and I don't want him to, you know, carry these burdens unnecessarily, but it's also his process, but we talk about it. And, and so his, the possessions, the open-ended projects that are started and not completed, the things that still need to be done, they hold the same type of bandwidth in our brain that still has a list, still has a box of checks, still has to finish it. And we would be such a even more free society, free world, if we would just be mindful of closing the loops, getting the things done, finishing the task, not putting it off. And you are so right about possessions because everything we own needs to be dusted or vacuumed or cleaned and hung. Like every single thing that we own needs to be cared for in some way. Mm -hmm. I can see the connection of how mindfulness honestly ought to be a part of your business, anyone's business, because now that you bring this to such a understandable process, it makes the most sense. It makes complete sense. You know, I, and it's not that I'm not 
have some sort of intuitiveness or, you know, I know, I know what some of my gifts are. I, I trust my gut, you know, all those things. And I know that I have capacity to learn things. I know, you know, I, everybody knows something about themselves, but to really know that though, to really embrace that, that's a gift that you can give people to be able to see those areas and then be able to move forward with that. How fascinating. You must love your work. I do. The ability to, to learn to step back from our thoughts and watch them and know that they're just thoughts can solve Mm. so many problems in business and in life. Absolutely. If you could leave the audience with one takeaway, one thing that they ought to, at the very baseline, start implementing in their life, what would it be? I'm going to cheat and choose two because they go together. Fair. Okay. (laughs) Um, Journaling and some sort of mindfulness practice. Journaling is the emptying out of that backpack. Mm. Um, You know, it's the same way. I know like once a week or so I dump out my purse and I like get rid of all the receipts that are crumpled up and we should be caring for our brains the same way. So every morning and every night, just open up a notebook or loose leaf paper, whatever, and just write down all the things. And it's a messy mix of to-do list and stuff you're stressed about and ideas that you're thinking about, projects you're considering. Just let it all out. You don't ever have to read it. You don't have to look at it. Just externalize it so that you're not carrying it around. Mm -hmm. And then a mindfulness practice. It can be sitting still and meditating, or it can be walking with no distractions, just noticing the soles of your feet. It can be a a moving meditation, moving your body and stretching and noticing the sensations. And you can practice during normal day-to-day stuff, like brushing your teeth, noticing the bristles of the toothbrush against your gums, the sensation of the toothbrush handle in your fingers. Like these are Mm -hmm. all opportunities to practice mindfulness to practice getting out of the narrative experience of the brain making everything mean something and just be in that direct present experience of sensation. Wow. And then talk about living a, a just a fulfilling life then, because now all of a sudden everything is relevant and real. What a goal to achieve. My goodness. <laughs> it just, I'm so fascinated. This is just such a fascinating interview to me. Um, but I, I know the audience can't see me, but I'm just sitting here like watching you, watching our conversation being like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That is fascinating. It, I mean, my mind is like running a million miles a minute, but how has the entrepreneurial journey changed you over the course of time? Do you think? The entrepreneurial journey has made me so much bolder and braver than I ever thought I would be. Mm. Although I never really thought of myself as a people pleaser. I can see in retrospect that I spent a ton of energy worrying about what other people thought of me and worrying how other people were going to react to stuff and wanting to make sure that I was like super careful about what I said so as to not upset anyone. And the entrepreneurial journey has helped me to see that I cannot control what other people think of me. I cannot control other people's reactions like no matter what happens, there will always be someone somewhere in the world that doesn't love me and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think especially for those of us who are, who are the face of our business, 
this sort of uncloaking is a necessary part of the entrepreneurial journey. And it's realizing that we have to be visible, that being visible means some degree of being vulnerable. Even if we're not like showing up and sharing all of the airing the dirty laundry, we are still making ourselves vulnerable just by virtue of showing up. Mm. And to be okay with that and to accept that, you know, the realm of things that I can control ends like at my fingertips. And beyond that, everything is just out in the world. Mm -hmm. So true. Where do you want to see your business grow? What's your purpose, desire, impact? My purpose, desire, impact is really to see all of these women who have deep expertise have the the confidence, not just in their own expertise, but in their ability to show up and be visible and vulnerable and monetize their expertise. Because I truly believe that all of the women who are not sharing their expertise probably have the power to change the world if they all stood up and took big action. Agreed. Hands down agreed. That's so, and that's so powerful because then you would be able to see the change, which we all yearn for anyway. You know, to some degree we yearn for that, but we don't know where to start with it, but it can start with mindfulness. Yeah. And it can start with, with that kind of, what you laid out across this interview, that's where it can be. There was a, uh, in one of your recent interviews, I think it was Galit, you and her were talking about how men apply for promotions if they've met like a handful of the criteria and women apply if they've met all of the criteria plus some. And I think we see this in the world around us because the world is not run by experts for the most part. The world is run by people who were minimally qualified, but highly confident. (laughs) And I feel like by helping women who are super qualified develop more confidence, that's what's going to change the world. And they have, they have the foundation for that confidence. They just need someone like yourself or, you know, someone in, in a space to guide them to see it, to realize that it exists there for them. Because again, a lot of times we're so close to center, we are ourselves, you know, so that sometimes a lot of times we can't see the pieces that are, you know, we, we have all the pieces, but because we have all the pieces, we're not individually seeing the one that we need to pull from and say, here's where we need to be. This is what we need right now. That's why someone such as yourself becomes such a powerful uh, companion to an entrepreneur's growth in their business is because yes, you're going to grow your business. You've got that, but being able to understand how you're growing and where you're growing from, that's what you have. That's what you can offer them. Yeah. Dr. Brick, this has been such a, just a silently mind-blowing interview. (laughs) (laughs) I'm over here just being like, whoa. Again, I've already said that once, but it's so neat to me. And it doesn't escape me when I get to connect with people such as the women on the podcast, yourself, to have these conversations that really touch the real things, that dive into the deeper pieces, that that help us move the collective purpose of being able to know that we can make a difference in this world and then start putting that into action. So I really thank you for taking the time and coming on today and being a part of that story and a part of that gift to the world through the podcast, but through what you do to change lives on a daily basis. Thank you. This was truly a pleasure. I enjoyed this conversation so much. 
Guys, make sure to go through the show notes and link back to Dr. Brooke Smith. She is such an amazing, I'm, you've heard me a million times in this episode already, but just has such a way of being able to open your eyes to something so, so gently that it would be worth your time to see what she can do for you. So I encourage you, check it out, check her out, take notes. And then as always, keep moving forward. Thanks for listening to the Femination podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, have a no BS place to ask your business questions and connect with like-minded women entrepreneurs, join the Fem community, our free group on Facebook. And don't forget to check out the next 21 day challenge at www.becomeunstoppablechallenge.com. Let's crack the door to what's possible when you begin leading yourself first. If you love this show, subscribe and share it with a friend. If this episode impacted you, it would mean the world to me if you left a review so others know what's possible by listening. I'm already looking forward to the next episode with you.